could progress with a COVID-19 vaccine mean there are some glimmers of hope for the travel industry? Or is it going to be a case of too little, too late? These and other big issues, including the relaunch of Virgin Australia, some funding for New South Wales tourism, and lots of activity in the cruise space, mean it's once again been a huge week of travel news. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. Earlier this week, Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt gave an upbeat assessment about work on a COVID-19 vaccine, suggesting things are ahead of schedule and we definitely could see something become available next year. What does that mean for the travel industry, Bruce? Look, I guess you have to feel for Greg Hunt and indeed any of our political leaders at the moment. It is such a crazy year and they've got a lot of responsibility, not just for the economy, of course, but also in terms of health and safety, you know, because that in the end is the bottom line. So this was an area where things really came together for him, and I was really surprised about how confident he seemed about this vaccine. Uh, He was speaking at the University of Queensland, where our listeners may or may not know one of several COVID-19 candidate vaccines has been developed. And he was really talking to the scientists there and thanking them for their work. But he did announce that, yes, things are really well and truly on track, in fact, ahead of schedule, and that, in fact, CSL, the vaccine maker, had already made enough of that particular one to start a complete phase three clinical trial. That means the drug's already passed phase one trials, which mean it's been shown to be safe and not have major side effects. Phase two, where it's shown to be to work on a sort of small scale. And phase three is on a much larger scale, many more patients uh, who, who get to trial the vaccine. And hopefully, again, will identify both safety and efficacy. So that's really great. And he said that these trials will be underway before Christmas. And so what could that mean for travel and cruising in 2021? Well, during a press conference afterwards, someone asked him what that meant for international travel and borders. And he was pretty forthcoming about how it could play out. You know, it's all just speculation. And clearly with COVID-19 running rampant overseas, even if there is a vaccine, the government's going to be really reticent to open up the borders. But if vaccination of Australians does start, as he suggests, sometime after June or July next year, once these trials are finished, that would definitely allow the government to add what he described as progressive layers of safety, like travel bubbles and so forth, and in particular could see Australians being allowed to travel overseas and come back without requiring quarantine. And as more vaccination becomes available, perhaps by the end of 2021, um, you know, they've said that they, they want it to be population-wide by then, he did use the words widespread international travel for Australians. So what does it mean? Look, I think at least it gives some certainty, particularly for international tour operators and cruise companies who are, and the tour operators particularly, um, would normally be publishing, you know, madly selling 2021 at the moment. I'm guessing they'll be very shortly following their cruise competitors by starting to advertise 2022 touring itineraries. I reckon, unfortunately, you know, we all said 2020, we can't wait for it to be over. I think for the travel industry, 2021 is pretty stuffed as well, outbound, at least for Europe and the USA, although hopefully we will get some travel bubbles in Asia like Singapore, Japan and South Korea. But I don't think there's enough certainty for people to produce comprehensive programs for touring. So it's definitely some good news, definitely a bit of positivity, but also definitely not a return to normal. But it's better than a deluge of gloomy stuff that we've had for the last eight months or so. This week, we've also seen Virgin Australia relaunch under its new ownership, bringing to the end the sorry saga of its administration, brought on by COVID-19, but following years of cumulative losses. 
Paul Scarra has been replaced as CEO by former Jetstar chief Jane Herdlicker, who laid out her vision for the airline. So what's the new Virgin going to look like? I think it's going to be an evolution rather than a revolution for Virgin, which everyone hopes, of course, will emerge stronger after basically declaring bankruptcy due to the pandemic and also many years of losses. It should also be able to make a fresh start because under its new private ownership by Bain Capital, at this stage, it's no longer saddled by a $7 billion debt. The whole crisis has allowed the airline to clean house, get rid of extra costs, and of course, COVID-19 gives Hoodlicker pretty much carte blanche to reshape things and make it operate profitably again. And I'm sure that's her brief. Um, You know, in line with Bain's uh, reputation, they'll be definitely stripping out costs they will have an exit plan and, you know, so there's definitely, you know, a medium-term horizon uh, for the next phase of Virgin. But anyway, at the moment, it's business as usual and, you know, all, all hands to the pump to get things going again. Something that was interesting when she took the reins on Wednesday this week was the determination that Virgin would continue to target maintaining a 33% domestic market share, effectively promising to be a competitor to Qantas like it was before, uh, but you know, not too much of a competitor. You know, they, they'll draw the line, their line in the sand at 33%. They're going to maintain business class and also the Economy X offering introduced by John Thomas during his short-lived tenure as John Borghetti's heir apparent a few years ago. And they're still going to have lounges in all the major cities. Um, they're closing a few. Um, Jane also said that while Virgin would, of course, try to act business from right across the market, they're particularly going to target their core loyal customers. And because of the data from the Velocity Frequent Flyer program, they know who they are. Uh, basically, budget conscious corporate travellers, small and medium businesses, families and premium leisure travellers. So will the flying experience with Virgin change much? Probably not. Um, Hoodlicker did say they would introduce new technology to allow self-check-in. Um, and I guess that's going to means there's going to be less staff required at airports. That's a project that's set to be completed in about 12 months' time. Technology also includes an updated app, which I presume also will be all targeting cost savings in terms of uh, simplified boarding passes, allowing flight changes, probably e-commerce and all that sort of thing. As I mentioned, most of the lounges are going to stay open, particularly in the major capital cities, and they're also going to keep those premium entry facilities, which are really great basically allowing lounge access directly from the street, particularly in Sydney, where that is very popular with the corporate frequent flyers. You can basically just drive up right up to the door, have your car valeted and go through a dedicated security gate straight into the lounge. Other things that she committed to was a restructure of Virgin Australia Regional Airlines, basically the old Skywest operation in WA, basically focusing on charters and fly-in, fly-out. There's also going to be a very close eye on cost, naturally, and she did note that in-flight Wi-Fi and entertainment is under review. I think you can read that as not going to be there. And there's also very close focus on the airline's network of destinations. You can be sure they're not going to be wanting to operate routes that aren't profitable. The Travel Daily Training Academy is continuing to expand with new destinations and modules added in the last few weeks, including Singapore, Viking Cruises, Tokyo and Okinawa. The platform allows course content, modules, quizzes and certificates to be generated, allowing travel advisors to build their knowledge and be ready for the recovery when it comes. To have your product or destination featured for a keen audience of travel sellers, inquire online at training.traveldaily.com.au, where you can also find links to the hub and bespoke sites on offer. That's training.traveldaily.com.au or give us a call on 1300 799 220.
And moving on to cruise, last week Aurora Expeditions unveiled details of its new ship, the Sylvia Earl, and also a range of quite innovative measures in terms of incentivising bookings. What are the details, Bruce? Um, Look, it'd be fair to say that Aurora's had a pretty tough year and been somewhat in the spotlight as one of the operators who had to deal with a very difficult situation as COVID-19 took hold. Of course, that's now all behind it. And the new CEO, Monique Ponfort, is definitely putting her best foot forward in terms of looking to the future. The Sylvia Earl, which was already in the pipeline long before the pandemic, is now set for delivery as a sister ship to Aurora's existing vessel, the Greg Mortimer, in October next year. So they're ramping up the anticipation. They've released some you know, really good looking renders, a new colour scheme, as well as the interiors of the ship, which do look very impressive. They've tweaked some of the design elements of the Greg Mortimer. Look, it's all still the same basic platform, that innovative X-Bow um, thing that's supposed to make things a bit smaller, smoother when you're crossing the Drake Passage. I think there's a big new lounge at the front of the ship with windows that'll allow passengers to look forward at the polar landscapes. They've also teased some of the itineraries that are look they look really interesting. Having a second ship is helping Aurora to build scale. They're going to operate in the Russian Far East, polar regions. Look, some of the wildlife shots they showed at a preview were really amazing. And what about boosting confidence to actually make reservations for next year? Well, like all cruise lines, Aurora's offering tons of flexibility, allowing easy cancellations and refunds. Um, but they've also really gone above and beyond. I think it's you know probably in response to that COVID-19 issues earlier in the year. They're really stressing their financial backing. They're putting all payments for future cruises into a escrow or a trust account that they can only access to cover the costs of each passenger's cruise. So that should put paid to any concerns about the financial stability of the company, um, despite the ongoing cruise pause. Also, what I found really interesting was conditions that allow people to cancel and get a refund under all sorts of reasons, extremely generous. Um, People can pull out under, you know, if they're being told not to travel because of uh, new government restrictions, even in transit, if they have to quarantine at any point in their journey, then they can, uh, they're allowed to cancel. And another flexible option is the ability to cancel even if you can't get COVID-19 insurance, which as we know, doesn't even exist at this stage. So it's very forward looking of Aurora to think of these things. And they've definitely given travel agents a full armoury of ways to overcome any objections. And there appears to still be uncertainty around a cruise restart in the USA. What's the latest with that conditional sailing order from the Centers for Disease Control? Look, it's definitely a movable feast and cruise lines continue to digest this CDC framework. One of the hiccups they're having to deal with is a clause, I think it's like on page 33 of the 40-page document, which says cruises out of US ports can't be longer than seven days. Of course, that if, if that ends up being the case, it really mucks up a bunch of you know existing itineraries, you know already sold, already booked, and we've seen all of the lines put all the longer US cruises on a stop sell at the moment while they seek some clarification from the, from the CDC, uh, most on stop sell uh, for departures through to November 2021. Look, of course, they want to get things going again, but I fear they're just going to have to toe the CDC line and ensure that every measure possible is taken. And that's because, as we've seen this week with Sea Dream Yacht Club and also in South Australia, COVID is so insidious. Sea Dream, you know, with a big fanfare, restarted cruising in the Caribbean with what everyone thought were quite stringent measures, um, pre-departure testing, then mid-voyage testing. But that mid-voyage test uh, found that ultimately nine people on board diagnosed, seven passengers and two crew. So clearly with COVID running so rampant in the USA, Cruise lines are just going to have to be so careful if they're going to expect any sort of return to normality. 
And finally, the travel industry continues to press the government for support. Has there been any update on that? Look, unfortunately, this is an ongoing issue and there really doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's a bit unfortunate that AFTA has kind of built up expectations that something will be forthcoming in the near future, but they haven't even given any details on what they're even asking for. And although clearly politicians are aware of what's going on in the industry, the feeling I'm getting is that they're not in any great hurry, which is bad news for all the agents who are just hanging on by a thread. There's absolutely nothing being released concretely, but I have heard from a few sources that while the government is definitely listening, at this stage really an information gathering exercise, rather than getting close to making any sort of announcement or finalising a program, um, I've heard from several people that the current thinking is that any industry-specific assistance would only happen as JobKeeper is phased out at the end of March next year. There was a bit of good news for New South Wales agents this week with the state budget making a few tweaks in terms of the commercial tenancy code of conduct and payroll tax, but there's nothing that's going to save a business that's already on the brink. So I fear there's still a way to go on that front, and as we've said before, what everyone wants really is just the ability to trade rather than a handout. And I can't see that really happening until there's a vaccine. Well, on that somewhat bleak note, we'll wrap things up with a hope that next week we might have something more positive to report on that front. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Keep up to date with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and from Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends. We really do appreciate your support. We'll be back next week with more news on the fly.